right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. This is a premium episode. We are going to get to our interview with Peter Casas here shortly. He is unfiltered. He brings the goods. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this. Um, But before we do get started, if you are a golf history buff in any way, there's a recently published piece of content from our uh, best friends. I'm not even going to say friends. Our best friends at Callaway that might be for you. If you saw it this week, there's a teaser for it on on the Callaway social media handles. It's called The Ball That Changed a Town. And it is the story of the Chicopee golf ball plant. It's a short documentary. It chronicles a hundred plus year history of the Callaway ball plant. It was formerly uh, the Spalding facility uh, there in Massachusetts. Introduces some of the longstanding employees who bring the facility to life and cutting edge technologies that produced the Chrome Soft golf ball used by the best golfers in the world, including but not limited to our very own Icarito and Big Randy. Uh, the documentary is actually airing on Golf Channel right now as we're recording and editing this podcast, and it is going to be available digitally uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, which might be today, probably when you're listening to this. So through this piece, you can see how the facility has over the years impacted the city's community and growth. You can find the documentary on CallawayGolf.com, Callaway's channels on Apple TV and Roku, or just, just Google the ball that changed the town. That's always the answer uh, to, to almost any question. Just Google it. So without any further delay, here is the man of the hour, Mr. Peter Costas. You couldn't outrun me forever, Mr. Costas. You knew I was going to beg and beg and beg until you finally came on. You know, it's like when my wife wants me to do something and I really don't want to do it, and she keeps <laughs> asking and asking, and then I realize, you know what, I'm better off doing it. So I don't have to listen to it for the next six months. <laughs> I'm glad. I could, good to know that I could just wear people out. I've been working on that with a lot of people in golf, but it finally worked on somebody. So, well, thank you for doing it. I know we've been uh, we've been chatting some in the in the coming months about getting this uh, getting this recorded and whatnot. I got a lot of great a lot of stuff to talk to you about. But first, I want to know just kind of how you've been spending uh, your last few months. Uh, doing a lot of teaching in in uh, Scottsdale. Staying home, I went to the PGA show, made a couple of appearances for uh, for Titleist and another company called True Turn uh, that I'm helping them out. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just been it's been nice not having to get on an airplane. I have to admit that, and it's been nice not uh, being in hotel rooms for the first time in like 30 years. Well, I was going to say you're you're in your 70s. Does that does that wear nice, on you? I'm nice. just, I'm just, I, I'm in my 30s and I get worn out from tire from traveling is where I'm getting to here. Does it take a toll on you all the all the time spent on the road? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, obviously, there's times in the course of the year, like last year we had nine tournaments in a row. Uh, I think this year CBS is going to have ten in a row with the new schedule, and so yeah, you get physically worn down a little bit. That said. I think all of my traveling, all of my work on the golf course, walking the course, basically having to stay up on the world of golf keeps me moving, keeps me young, you know, and and the young players that I work with. And I I have to keep moving. I cannot sit still. 
So, yeah, there's a give and a take there. Well, I was going to say, compare and contrast the time, you know, since since you were let go by CBS to now, how you spent that time. How does that compare to how you would spend your time during down weeks? Because you, CBS is not on on the air every single week. So how, how does that compare to how you would spend your time when you were with CBS? Well, from when they told Gary and I that we weren't coming back, up until San Diego, my life was exactly the way it's always been because CBS had no golf. I was home here uh, teaching, playing, uh, going to Whisper Rock, doing all the things that I would normally do. You know, people saying to me, well, how does it, how, how does it feel? Is it different? Whatever. And I said, no, it's the same because I, this is what I would be doing even if I had to start work in San Diego. Now, the last four weeks have been interesting. I'll give you that. But up until then, no, it was it was normal, completely normal. In what way would you say the last four weeks have been interesting? My Twitter feed and my text and my emails have been lit up, absolutely lit up. And, and I have to say, I don't really ever wish anybody ill. I, I just don't like that. Um, but the, the love that Gary and I have gotten uh, in social media, which is uh, oftentimes not very social, uh, ha- has been astounding to me. You know, it, it's been it's been nice to hear. Um, and it's nice to know that people um, enjoyed what you did and respected how you did it. I, I think, and I we're going to get into some of this, I would hope that obviously we have some well-documented criticisms of uh, golf on television, in particular at CBS. Um, I don't and think I have our, some well-documented answers for that too, by the way. All right. I, well, that's, I'm ready to, get <laughs> it, ready to get into some of that. I think, to be very clear, though, we never had any issues. I, I, I think McCord can be a bit polarizing for me. He's not my taste, but I think a lot of people do did enjoy listening to him um, on television. And I've always really, really enjoyed your work. And I, so when that, when that news hit the wire, I thought we were we were going to be due for some like widespread changes. I thought we were going to come back and the golf on television would look completely different and that they had a, a mission in plan for what it would look like. I don't really walk away from that feeling the same way after watching what we witnessed the last four weeks. I don't think that um, there was a plan in place. I know that they had not signed uh, other announcers prior to, to not renewing Gary's and my uh, option years. So I don't think there was a plan in place. I honestly think it, this is my opinion, and it's been corroborated by some uh, anonymous inside sources that that media likes to use these days. That you know, it was the tour that told CBS to get younger. Um, I think the tour had an issue with uh, with me not being a cheerleader. I think they had an issue with Gary sometimes when when he would say, you know, somebody would hit it in the fairway, hit it to 10 feet, miss the putt, tap it in for a par, and another guy would you know, hit it in the trees, hack it out, hit it to 30 feet, make the putt, and they both walk away with pars, and Gary would say, this is a stupid game. Right? <laughs> they, they, didn't, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that it's a stupid game at times, even though we all know that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that they, the tour was looking, as I was told, they wanted the announced crew to get younger, so the younger players could better be able to relate to the announcers and vice versa. Uh, I don't agree with that in any way, shape, or form, but uh, I think that was, the, that was the initial catalyst for everything. And, of course, you have to remember that I, they may still be in contract negotiations. I don't know. But it, this was during the, the negotiations for the new TV contract, so I think CBS acquiesced. 
Yeah, that's a that's a lot to take in there. Um, I'd kind of suspected that that was at least part of the issue, I guess you could say. I just don't understand replacing, I don't want to say replacing even, if it's quality, it doesn't matter what your age is. <laughs> don't, right. I, 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 don't, I don't see what, uh, that's what I wanted to get to is, were there any documented issues with your performance in any way before that point? I asked, I asked Sean McManus, you know, why he was doing it. Uh, was it something I did or didn't do? Whatever. And he said, no, he said, uh, we just feel like things have gotten a bit stale and we want to go in a different direction. That was the exact quote. Uh, he denies it now, but that was the exact quote. And that's what he told Gary as well in a separate call. That was that, that was all we were told. And that's part of the frustrating part. When you put I mean, Gary and I have put collectively 65 years of, of life into into CBS golf and to not be told you know, why you're not being renewed, not having an explanation for why or whatever, that's a bit frustrating because you, you don't know. And to this day, I don't know. So what was your reaction? Were you, were you angry? Were you sad? And were, did it, was it a phone call completely out of the blue? I'm just, I just, I, I can't, I can't fathom how this was like, <laughs> like delivered <laughs> to is, you. I mean, this was funny because I mean, it wasn't funny because what it was, um, I got a phone call from Sean McManus. I, I didn't answer my phone in time. So um, uh, I w- it went to voicemail. I called him back maybe five minutes later, and uh, we had our conversation, which, I don't know, maybe lasted five minutes uh, at most. And so um, he told me that they weren't going to renew my contract. And I said, well, am I the only one or are there other announcers? Whatever. He said, I can't speak to other announcers. I'm just talking to you right now. So I immediately upon hanging up, because Gary and I were the ones whose options were up, I immediately called Gary. I said, did you get a call from Sean? And he said, no. And I go, well, I did, and I'm not coming back. And Gary went, I can't repeat what Gary said, but, you know, he goes, you got to be kidding me, right? And so then now Gary is kind of a little bit, I'm not going to say he's happy, but he feels like he's dodged a bullet because he didn't get a phone call from Sean. Well, the idiot, McCord, he goes back and he checks his phone, and there's a 212 number that, that missed and so he called Sean the next morning and got the same call that I did. So he went to bed thinking that he had dodged a bullet and, and then got the same call the next day. And you guys, uh, you were offered, was it within that phone call that you were offered a chance to have some sort of a, a send-off work an event or two this year before, quote-unquote, retiring? And I believe you were quoted as saying that was an immediate no answer. Was that on that phone call but or a later it, it conversation? Was, okay, um, um, what Sean said is what we'd like for you guys to you know, what he would like me to do is work San Diego and Phoenix and um, they could give me a proper send off at Phoenix where I could retire in my hometown. I said, whoa, I got to think about that. Uh, that doesn't sound, you know, um, and so I, I thought about it. I called him back a couple days later and I said, look, A, I'm not retiring. So I'm not going to have a retirement party. You're not renewing my contract. So I'm not, I'm not going to acquiesce to that. And, and two, Johnny Miller retired at Phoenix a year ago, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm not going to be a copycat and, you know, go out um, in Phoenix like Johnny did. Mm-hmm. Forget it. And that was the end. Uh, that was my last conversation with anybody. Well, I, David Burson and, and Ross Malloy, two other uh, the president of CBS Sports and a, 
and the vice president in charge of CBS Sports Talent. They called me later, um, and we had a conversation, but that, that was it. I mean, I, 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 always, I got the feeling that it was more about saving face for them than trying to do something nice for me. Yeah, that's a lot of different, lot of different ways they can go with this, and I think you know, it's, it's, I don't want to put you in a tough spot with this, but I think it would be one. Yes, you do. So yeah, go ahead and do no, it. no, it's, <laughs> it'd be one thing if, if there was someone waiting in the wings as far as there to replace you. Um, or, you know, there was a clear, like kind of what I was getting at with a clear direction of where it was going to go, but to mm-hmm. go with someone that has almost no experience to replace you. And it kind of, like I said, this reaction of this last four weeks is kind of like, whoa, wait a second here. What? We, we have not even scratched the surface here as to what the issues that a lot of people are having with this product are. And you took away two assets, like a very, very mm-hmm. strong assets, I think, to it. So at least if I can say one positive that's come from this, you're getting a chance to get some things off your chest about the tour, at least. Your, your Twitter feed has gotten m- much, much more interesting, if I may say so. Let's, let's just say that, uh, you know, if you go back and check, um, there, was a, there was a couple tournaments um, and, and this is where the uh, contrarian in me surfaces. I don't remember the, the first tournament, but it was a rookie who won. And I did the interview on the 18th green. And, you know, I, I said to him, you know, congratulations. You're no longer a rookie. Now you're a tour winner. And with that, you, you have a job secured for two years and you're going to go to Augusta. You're going to play in the Masters. How does that make you feel? That, that was roughly my, my question to the player. And then I got a phone call the next day from New York, and they had gotten a phone call from the commissioner, and the commissioner was upset that I didn't say, first off, that he had won 500 FedEx Cup points, and that he, was, he didn't want me talking about majors. And, and so I said, well, you know what? I would be willing to bet my entire self-worth, whatever that is that the first thought that crossed that kid's mind wasn't, wow, I've just won 500 FedEx Cup points. You know, he knows he's, he's, he's got a job secured for two years and he's going to play in the Masters. That's what everybody thinks, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to be disingenuous and, and just pump up FedEx and be a spokesman for the tour. I don't work for the tour. So that started and then I did it again because they told me not to do it. So that's what I do. <laughs> and, and if you notice... Toward the middle, the end of last year, I stopped doing interviews for the winners, even though I was walking with the group. They shifted it over to Amanda. I mean, Amanda does a great job. Don't don't get me wrong, but it was kind of like me being told that I wasn't listening correctly, and and um, you know, this is what we're going to do. Well, how does it work then in that scenario? So there's a partnership deal between CBS and the PGA Tour. So from a legal perspective or anything, are you contractually obliged to check any of the boxes here that we're talking about from FedEx to any of this stuff? I mean, what kind of what kind of actual power does the tour have in that regard to say that to you? Well, well, uh, they don't have any power to say it to me, but they have power to say it to CBS or NBC or, or, or whomever. Golf is this Channel. a common thing that they're dictating what is being said and, and how, it's, how it works on the air? I think this is a common thread through this whole thing that the tour wants more control over what's being said. I think they want more cheerleaders on the telecast, more people who are going to, uh, quote-unquote, promote the tour's product. You know, which, which okay, now, we, now we're bridging into 
the, the stuff that um, people are really upset about, you know, the quality of the telecast. And I will say this, from the bottom of my heart, I believe this, that no one in management of a network or at the leadership of the PGA Tour gives a rat's ass about the quality of the telecast. They don't care about the quality of the viewer experience. They don't care about anything other than promotion. You know, and, and I learned this. I listened to it, and I, and I now listen to it like twice a year. The Lost Interview with Steve Jobs. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Because it, was, it had to do with the time when he left Apple and they brought in uh, John Scully from Pepsi-Cola. And he ran Apple as the CEO and they kicked uh, Jobs out. And Scully was, uh, you know, Pepsi-Cola, I mean, that's your product. So you market it, right? And so he tried to market Apple and, and it went in the tank because, as Steve Jobs said, they took their eye off the ball. They took their eye off of content. They took their eye off of product development that people want. They took their eye off of innovation. And I don't think anybody at the tour cares about the product vis-a-vis -vis the viewer. And at CBS, they have to turn a profit. They're a publicly traded company, right? So when the tour keeps upping and upping and upping the rights fees, CBS has to get that money back somehow, hence a gajillion commercials, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And then the tour, the tour goes to you know, the Corn Ferry Tour, and they, and they, they say, okay, we're going to – you give us this much money to run the Corn Ferry Tour. We're going to give you so many pops on our tour telecast. You know, they go to FedEx. They, you give us the money for the FedEx Cup, and then we're going to mention FedEx X number of times. Uh, we're going to have FedEx updates, FedEx this, FedEx that. And, and so they use the telecast to pay off, if you will, people who bring money into the tour. And it clutters up the telecast to no end. I mean, we, we, have, to, we have to show a corn fairy highlight that with, with three people in the gallery. And it takes, I don't know what, takes a minute, minute and a half. I mean, that's a bunch of golf shots you could show. You know, and, and so they are interested in marketing the product. They're not interested in the quality of the product. And I believe that with a, from the bottom of my heart. Yeah, and I think that is has been the source of so many of the issues that we have had. Um, and if I think if I'm if, looking at a revisionist history, maybe we came in very hard on CBS many years ago, and we've started to at least at least, at least in the last year, maybe two years, when when applicable, shifting that blame more towards the PGA tour. And there's so much of what, like what you're talking about there, so much of what CBS has to do is mandated. And you touched on it there with the rights fees and all that. And it looks like that might be different within the next contract. Expanding on that, what, how hamstrung do you think someone like CBS feels when they go to telecast, uh, go to broadcast golf? Like what are, what are the main huge hurdles that are prohibiting golf from being entertaining on TV? Uh, cost is, is, is the biggest, no, no question about it. I mean, um, prior to the CBS Viacom merger, there was, there was cost cutting going on. And as a consequence, you know, we lost Hall of Fame cameramen to early retirement. We've, we, we lost, if there was a Hall of Fame for technicians, we lost, we lost some of our most experienced people to early retirement. And then you, you take Gary and I out of the equation and they cut back on cameras. 
you know, somebody makes a, like it was John Rahm who called out CBS at uh, San Diego this year when they didn't show his, uh, his uh, eagle hole out on two. You know, they didn't have it because they didn't have an experienced cameraman to know where to stand to be able to get the shot. They didn't have enough cameras. And that's what happens when we get eight or nine guys in four or five, six different groups charging up the leaderboard and everybody's going, well, why aren't you seeing this? Why aren't you seeing that? You know what? They don't have a camera. Mm-hmm. It's, there's, there's not enough coverage. So it's, it's, everything is dictated by finances. You know, we would all love to, to have Top Tracer on every single shot. Costs money. We'd love to have the blimp up in the air to, for overheads. Costs money. And then when you're paying exorbitant rights fees, you know, it really is um, dollars and cents. I mean, Fox can go do whatever they want to do for the U.S. Open. They've got a, a long-term – trust me, they lose millions of dollars on the U.S. Open with the number of cameras they have trying to present it the way they want to present it and so on and so forth. It's a lost leader like in a grocery store for them, hmm. right? They hope to make it up someplace else. But, but if, if you have to somehow manage your budget, then it's, it's the nuts and bolts that really make the show that – end up going away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, I've always wondered how long that can go on. And maybe this will all be fixed with, with the new TV deal, but how long this, you know, dog and pony show can go on just ignoring the fans and what the fans think of it. And it felt like, it felt like that things reached a fever pitch this past weekend at Riviera. I mean, we, we are constantly the ones kind of pointing out and making criticisms, and it felt like it was an overwhelming... I ran into somebody on the golf course today, and they were like, wow, I couldn't believe the, the telecast this week. It's like, it's finally starting to really shine through. I, I'm curious to pick your brain on... You follow you followed us on Twitter for a long time. I'm sure there's tons of stuff we've said that you disagree with. Maybe there's some stuff you agree with. I'm wondering if you could shine some light on where we're barking up the right tree and where we're wrong. My initial negative reactions were um, that none of you guys had taken the time to come and go in the production trucks, meet the people, see how it's put on the air, see what the hurdles are, see what the, the issues are that that we all deal with, right? So, and everybody can sit back and pontificate on whatever subject they want, but it, I, I felt like you didn't know enough about what it took to put a broadcast on. I think you've done some homework since then. Correct. And, and, and that's to your credit. And so therefore I'm more willing to, well, I don't really care anymore. Actually, <laughs> I'm, I'm more willing to, to listen to what you have to say because you've taken the time to, to learn a little bit about the ins and outs of the business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and speaking of, of the, you know, going forward, the, the word on the street is that there's not going to be anymore a uh, CBS TV compound per se or an NBC TV compound per se in the new contract. I think it's going to be a PGA Tour right. TV compound. I think they're going to do what essentially amounts to the world feed at the Olympics per se just to say, and that CBS, NBC, or whoever ends up with a golf channel, whatever, they'll take those feeds and those camera shots and whatever, and then put together a show that'll air on network. Mm -hmm. That in theory, if the tour were above board and willing to show, you know, bad shots, willing to show a player breaking a rule or whatever, and, and show the tour in all of its glory and all of his, with all of its warts, you may have more cameras available and, and the coverage could conceivably get better. 
Yeah, I think I, I, some of our my other uh, friends here at No Lang Up have where their initial reaction to that was a negative for the tour taking that over. And I've I've said kind of what you touched on to start of how involved the tour is with the telecast as it is. CBS is doing a I wouldn't say trying their hardest, but they're they're making a big effort, of course, to work in the tour's considerations while also trying to make money off this thing. And it's just the Venn diagram doesn't overlap very much. Whereas if the tour is able to take over the production arm of this, thus eliminating big, big, big costs from CBS is how the rights fees have been able to go up so much. Is that a fair summation? Well, the rights fees have gone up for one reason and one reason only. And that's Tiger Woods. Trust me. Mm -hmm. He moved the needle. He was the needle. Still is. That allowed the tour to, to start charging more and more and more. Now, going forward, they're gonna, I'm sure they're going to get even more in the next 10-year contract, hmm. right? So CBS still has to get that money back. Now, maybe, maybe they've got a, a little bit less production cost. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. That remains to be seen. Hmm. But as long as the, the cost for getting the rights to a PGA Tour event keep going up and up and up, you're going to see less and less golf. I mean, I don't care what it is. It's go to Golf Digest magazine. You know, when I, somebody just sent me a 27-page story that I did back in whenever, 1988 or whatever, in, on Golf Digest cover story, right? Mm-hmm. It was a big, long article. You don't ever see those anymore because they aren't getting the ad revenue. And so, you know, you get these little bitty stories, ad page. Little story, ad page, two ad pages, another ad page. So, And then Golf Digest comes out and, and says something negative about CBS or NBC or whomever for, for too many commercials. Give me a break. You can't flip a, a magazine of theirs without having ads everywhere. So it's everything's driven by cash. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the big hurdle. I mean, I, there's rumors now that the FedEx Cup winner is going to get $25 million in the next couple of years. <laughs> right? Here, all this time, I thought it was about the points. Well, I was going to say, well, here, you, you, you promised you weren't going to give FedEx any props, so you keep saying their name. What the hell is that? Well, no, I mean, <laughs> the, the, imagine what's going to have to happen on the telecast. I know. But, but that's kind of what I'm getting at, though, is so if, if, if CBS is not running the cameras, you, you mentioned earlier that it's such a, co- a prohibitive factor is just the cost it takes to produce all this stuff. But if they're not running it and the tour is running it, and CBS is just taking the feed and making their package, you know, with announcers over top of that. That is what's contributing towards the fact that the, the tour being able to charge so much more for that has to be a huge factor there, right? Well, I mean, if that comes to fruition, it, it may help out the telecast. But who knows? Yeah, that's a- I, I, I'm not one for feeling very good about the tour taking over more control. Yeah. Yeah, it can go – I think there will be pros and cons like almost any, any change. But listen. listen, the NFL does it. NBA does it. MLB's doing it. I mean, everybody's trying to put a positive spin on everything that happens in their sport. So the tour shouldn't be any different, I suppose. Which – but what the NFL and NBA and other leagues have so much is that controversy sells. 
And that's what I don't understand. The tour, like you're talking about, them wanting to be a promotion machine. Like the Reed thing sells. Like that's a situation that sells. That's that controversy is on ESPN.com, and it is gonna. It's people are still talking about it. How many? But it's not selling the image that the PGA Tour wants. And 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 this going forward now, um, everything's going to revolve around gambling. Mark my words. Someplace down the road, every shot from every player will be available on video somewhere and people are going to be able to have a red button and they can say okay 50 bucks says mickelson misses this fairway and that's going to be the driving force for golf on television over the next 15 years Hmm. yeah and and so they don't want cheaters they don't want negative stories they don't want anything that might impact that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think that will help you potentially bring in eyeballs. I, I, I think the gambling aspect of what happened with Reed there—that's a separate conversation. But that, that could, that could be a, a difficult situation if somebody is, you know, taking advantage of the rules, whatever word you want to use there. Um, and the tour is coming out and saying he was a perfect gentleman about it. Is that that creates a different situation? Um, well, but getting back to broadcasting golf, the challenges that go with it. I, I think that, you know, in the, our arc of understanding all this stuff, we've been very admitting that golf is, this is not easy. This is, your job is not easy. Showing golf on TV is not easy. It's got to be one of the hardest sports in the world to broadcast. But I, I, I still want to pick your brain more on kind of what you think are legit criticisms, either be that the tour taking that blame, CBS taking that blame, NBC taking, anybody, any broadcaster taking that blame. What separating out what you think is are are well founded versus kind of stuff that like guys we can't do anything about that. First of all, you got X number of golf balls in the air mm-hmm. at one time, right? So that's the reality. Uh, every other sport has got one ball, and you can focus on that. I don't care if it's a baseball or basketball or football, whatever. There's only one thing going. They take TV timeouts for commercials, so they can show their sport live. I think golf needs to be done completely differently. I think it needs a complete overhaul. Um, if I were the uh, TV czar of the world, I would get however many, many recording machines I needed in the trucks. I would record shots. I would focus on a particular group live, you know, for a hole or a couple shots, give the announcers time to set up a storyline, explain what's going on, whatever. And then I would go boom, rapid fire. And I would, I would tee up 15 shots in a row and just have one announcer who just voices over. This was Roy McElroy's second at, at two. This was Tiger Woods' tee shot on 10. And just, and just show the shots, shot, 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 right? And, and give people a chance to, to experience and hear the sound of impact and hear the swoosh of the club and, and, and see some actual full swings, And then come back, slow the pace down again, go back and follow. Now, when you get to the back nine on Sunday, you do less of that because now you want to focus on the outcome and you need to show more more live golf. But I think tape golf is the salvation for the future, and people have to understand that. They have to get it, you know, get off their high horse about moments ago, whatever. Just say it one time. Moments ago, these were the these were the fifteen shots you missed while we were in commercial. Mm And that's what, you know, in talking to Tommy Roy, the one thing he said that just kind of stunned me 
was I asked him, you know, I said, do you take a big breather when you go to commercial? And he's like, no, actually, our job gets harder when you go to commercial because we got to figure out like, what to do once we get back and what happened during the break that we need to cover, um, et cetera. Now, well, you kind of touch on that ter- there, too, and I think it one thing that golf can improve on is just by showing more shots is kind of the drifting away from the assumption that somebody always needs to be talking, you know? I mean, sometimes just the words on the screen or the, sorry, the, the pictures on the screen tell the viewer what's happening and that the reason why you have to stick with shots longer is because somebody is also explaining them. Is that a fair, fair uh, grasp of that? No, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, um, in some um, situations, I'm not saying every shot. I'm just saying that that can be something that is preventing a huge volume of shots being shown. You have to understand that 75% of every shot you see on every network is on tape. Yep. Okay. So, and then you, you count it after the ball goes in the hole, count to seven and they'll cut away to something else. If you're perceptive, you can tell when a shot's on tape. Hmm. I mean, they showed a shot of, uh, Rory hitting his tee shot, went away to two other shots and then they come back and now Rory's in the fairway. Well, hell he couldn't have walked 300 yards that fast. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's on tape. Right. Which I think one thing I will say about CBS in the towers, we only have one monitor and that's the feed. That's what's going out to the viewers at home. Mm -hmm. NBC has multiple monitors and the announcers know the outcome before they show it when they show it on tape. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit disingenuous, you know, when they're calling shots, predicting things and they already know the outcome. Mm hmm. At this point, I uh, have to point out that I just spilled water all over my keyboard and it makes my microphone not work for the rest of this interview. I'm not sure what happened. I got too amped up. And uh, so you're going to hear my audio on basically the backup recorder for the remainder of this interview. So I do apologize for that. Uh, Peter just got me going. He got me going that hard. While we are taking this break, I want to point out that our latest episode of Taurus Sauce is live on our YouTube channel. This is episode four. This season is brought to you by Original Penguin. Episode 4 chronicles our trip to True Blue in Caledonia uh, in Myrtle Beach. Some of the best golf that Myrtle Beach has to offer. We divided and conquered on this day. Uh, Neil and DJ played True Blue, had a match that... Uh, one of the two of them dominated. You'll tune in and see who that was. And then me, Big Randy, and Tron played over at Caledonia. Two awesome Mike Strands courses. Uh, be sure to check that out. Also, be sure to swing by OriginalPenguin.com. You'll see the apparel that we're wearing throughout the season. They got wild stuff. They got conservative stuff. They got a bunch of different patterns, and a lot of people have been asking us about what we're wearing in them, uh, both on and off the course and both what we're wearing during the season and not during the season. So uh, always remember remember to be an original and visit OriginalPenguin.com as well as swing by our YouTube channel and check out the latest episode of Taurus Sauce. Now let's get to the rest of our interview with Peter Costas. I promise it's about to get really good. Well, one thing I wanted to to ask you about is – while, while you were with CBS, could you get a sense in recent years of growing criticism uh, either towards PJ Tour Golf, towards CBS? And was there any kind of discussion or reaction to the, the, growing, uh, the growing criticism? Well, I mean, it's, if you, you know, they asked us to be on social media, um, you know, CBS did. Um, and so if you're on social media, you're going to look at it and um, – so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm often a fan of saying that there's nothing social about social media. And it got, it got more and more angry. Um, and, uh, you know, there were meetings about it. 
I don't know that anything really ever happened, to be honest with you, because of the financial constraints. But it is at least it's been it's been heard, right? I mean, it's it, so that's kind of where I, I think we're kind of just stuck in this cycle of we. It's a it's an antiquated contract. It's a this contract. I don't know when this contract was signed. Was it maybe two thousand six? Does that sound right? Oh, it was a ten year contract, and it's up in two thousand twenty. So it's right. signed in two thousand nine. Okay, that makes that sounds about right. So it's just kind of like, okay, well, we hear the criticism, but we can't really change anything about this right now because of of the the financial constraints and whatnot. Yeah, and 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 again, that's that's the um, that that's kind of the beauty of the masters one year contracts, and it's also shows you what happens. Like when we signed our our PGA uh, championship contract with the PGA of America. Uh, 10 years ago now, we were on the air for what was considered to be a lot of hours back then, right? Mm -hmm. And now CBS got ripped for being on so few hours for a major because viewing habits changed, uh, technology changed, and the 10-year contract didn't change, right? So so you're victimized by the, the length of the contract, and that, I think that's one of the things that's really bad about long-term contracts is we don't know what the future holds in terms of video broadcasting in the future. Do you view golf on television any differently? I know you haven't been away from it for, for long, but now that you've been away from it for just a little bit, do you view it any differently? No, not really, because I, I know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, When I was working for CBS and, and we were off like now for March Madness, I would watch NBC golf. I mean, I'm a golf fan and uh, I had players that I'm working with and I want to see how they're doing. And I'll, I'll go on shot link and they'll do whatever. But um, no, I, I understand the limitations. You know, there's a certain amount of promotion of the PGA tour that's required in telecast, certain number of commercials. Uh, there's, there's network promos for whatever, and they all get in the way of showing golf. Amen. What, uh, what, what, if I was your, your old bosses at CBS, if I was to ask you what their opinion of us is, what, what would your reaction be? I don't know. I, I know, I know the bosses are very in tune to social media. Uh, they take a lot of the commentary personally. Now, I mean, they'll, they'll be looking, they'll be looking at their cell phones, uh, when they're, when they're in the production truck during a telecast which is generally only going to be the masters and the pga but whatever they're going to be they're going to be looking to see um what social media is saying about their telecast now whether they i'm not in the truck so i don't know if they change what they're doing or let it influence what they're doing i I have no idea but i know they listen i know they watch well, that's good. That's good news. The what happened this past week, and I don't know how much of you, how much of it you watched, but with Harold Varner on the tenth tee at Riviera, it tied for the lead, topping a shot off the tee, to have that not shown uh, on the telecast was that odd to you? No, and 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 here's why. I honest, I this is my opinion. I don't know. I've not talked to anybody uh, involved with the telecast. Um, I don't think they had a camera there. Well, they they got us a highlight of it seventy five minutes I, later, maybe. And I, I don't know that that was necessarily a CBS camera. Oh, okay. Oh. So they got okay. it from PGA Tour Productions or whatever. 
they took most of the tee shots on 10 from behind the green if you if you remember they showed the incoming shot right they didn't show they didn't mm-hmm. show the swing i don't know if something happened to the camera or whatever but i i just don't think they got the shot huh. how many cameras are out there not enough I'll tell you that <laughs> i mean it's it, it's it's a fact of life you gotta understand konica minolta right i did that for whatever 15 years mm-hmm. and um it got to the point where costs were difficult, and we actually had four, three or four tournaments a year where there was no high-speed camera on site due to costs. And so we had to, quote-unquote, fake it. We had to use hmm. swings from previous tournaments that we taped. Interesting. Yeah, right? I never noticed that. <laughs> so. Yeah, and a lot of people, and, and actually those are all pre-produced, and that's where I got to do the uh, a lot of the uh, Telestrator stuff, and people actually like those better, right? Because they, they could learn, I could make one point, they could learn it, I edited it, and, and we put it on. But I had to sometimes do eight or ten of them in hopes that two or three of those players would be in the hunt so we could put it on the air, right? So we, we actually did swing visions without a swing vision well i I did want to ask you about the swing vision too because we actually we had paul azinger on the podcast uh recently and he he, i guess did he reach out to you asking how you did these things because he the way he told the story he just said he he's kind of faking it his way through his way through the explanation i think we talked a while back yes i think he was still at abc um and and i I told him i told him the advice that i told him what i did right um and if I was successful doing those things, A, it was because I, I knew pretty much everybody's golf swing. Um, I never got to see the swing beforehand. I, it, was, it was raw to me. When, I was, when I'm doing the analysis, uh, I don't know what, what angle they're going to show. I don't know what player until six seconds before they do it. Um, and then I would pick one point and I would drive it home whatever that point was. It's kind of like, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them, right? So at least the viewer says, wow, Rory's hips really do rotate fast. I, I didn't make a comment about every foot of his golf swing and, and say, well, look, he, now he's setting the angle, now he's on plane, now he's here, now he's got a full shoulder turn. That, that's, that's bullshit. That doesn't help anybody learn anything, right? So I said, just take one point and drive it home, whatever it is, and stick with it. Well, and that's kind of something that I think a lot of people don't have full appreciation for out there is is the coaching aspect of your job. But tying it back to broadcasting, I mean, you you famously you've coached Paul uh, Paul Casey for a long time. What's it like calling tournaments when he is in contention? And how is that? Is it hard for you to be objective in those situations? No, because I got a job to do, and Paul knows that I have a job to do. Right. Um, and and you know, there's there's times. Look, I understand that. Like, for example, in 2010, I was with Paul at uh, St. Andrews at the British Open. Excuse me, the Open. Uh, pompous, but whatever. Um, and I'm walking outside the ropes, and I, I can see he's struggling. I can see he's having difficulties. There's not a damn thing I can do about it. I can't say anything to him. I can't do anything. i got to sit back, and, and i got to take it like a man, just like he had to take it like a man, Right. So I'm used to being outside the ropes watching players and having no ability to, um, to say anything and I, I can't affect the outcome whatsoever. 
So when I'm like Paul, I had a rough time at Memorial, I think two years ago, I was walking with his group and, and all I can do is, is what I would do with any other player. And I can explain his tendencies uh, in this situation and, and what he's battling and what he's got to overcome. And so that's, that's what I try to do, you know, try to be as objective as possible, as, as clinical as possible. Hmm. And one other specific thing I wanted to, to ask you about um, is how I'm curious how you would have handled the Patrick Reed situation if you were on the call for that. And if there was anything that you remember from the past in, in working and calling Patrick Reed uh, in the past that you would have hearkened back to at any moment. Well, okay. I was told by Frank Trichinian, the godfather of golf on TV, um, and this was kind of the unwritten rule, um, that we are there to report the story, not to be part of the story. Um, and and he, he was adamant about that, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, like, we could never call a penalty on a player, but we could comment if a penalty was called on a player. Yeah. That's the difference between reporting on a story and being a part of the story, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen Patrick Reed improve his lie up close and personal four times now. Whoa. By putting you, – you can go on YouTube. Oh, I've seen it. Um, That's why I'm asking. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, uh, it's the only time I ever shut McCord up. He didn't know what to say <laughs> when I said, well, you know, the lie that I saw originally wouldn't have allowed for this shot because he put four or five clubs behind the ball – you know, kind of faking whether he's going to hit this shot or hit that shot, whatever. By the time he was done, he hit a freaking three wood out of there, mm-hmm. which when I saw it was, it was a sand wedge layup originally, right? I saw him, I, I was in the tower at 16 at San Diego on, on the par three during uh, golf channel telecast. And he hit it over the green and did the same thing, put three or four clubs behind. And, and it was really a, a treacherous shot that nobody had gotten it close all day long from over there. And by the time he was done, I could I could read Callaway on the golf ball from my tower. So, but I can't say anything. Hmm. I can't be the story. Wow! Right? Yeah. Now I'm done. I don't really care. Yeah. But but there, there was another incident in Hartford and another incident in San Diego, and, and I was there and I saw them all. But we can't we can't be the story. What was the incident in Hartford? Uh, over the seventeenth green. Same thing. Same same modus operandi. Hmm. I'm not even sure that he knows he's doing it. Sometimes, uh, maybe he does. I, I, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna uh, assign intent. Yeah. Is that all? I'm gonna tell you is what I saw. Is that something you see run rampant on the PGA Tour? Like from a, no, no, no. It's no. Huh. And you just so it wasn't a surprise to you when all the stuff happened in the Bahamas. No. Wow. No. Hmm. That is that is fascinating. I. I had, you know, there's kind of just some surface evidence that is, you know, surface level evidence that has floated around in, in the months since then. But I had not, uh, I had not heard you speak on this, those specifics that, uh, that, that defiantly. That's, that's fascinating. Well, I think there's always been a player or two throughout history, you know, who fudged with their coin, marking the ball, who, who, um, you know, stepped on a spike mark, you know, with their foot walking across their line. Um, you know, I mean, everybody's, there's always been a player or two. It's, it's rare. It's really, really rare in the PGA tour. I have to say, I mean, 99.99% of the guys play by the rule book and that, and they're to be applauded for that. 
Well, it's, that's, just, that's, it's just amazing that's supposed it, to happen. that this happens in front of people, though. That you have a clear, a clear vision of all this stuff, and it, and it, it happens. It's been my experience that uh, people who are trying to get away with something think that they're invisible, that nobody's watching, that they're so cool doing it that nobody will get it. Hmm. Wow. That is that is very interesting. One other uh, topic I wanted to make sure we got to uh, about I want to hear about coaching Kevin Costner. What his swing was like before uh, <laughs> Tin Cup. Like what, what what was your role? Were you there on set coaching him in between shots? Like how does how does that work? How did that work? It started. Uh, uh, Ron Shelton, who is the director, uh, came to uh, Akron, Ohio, with Kevin, and we went out to a place called Sharon Country Club. And uh, we were introduced, and Gary McCord and I were the technical consultants for the film, and we were both in it, obviously. Um, and uh, my job was to uh, get Kevin to look respectable uh, with a golf club in his hand. Now, luckily, he was a baseball player, had great hand-eye coordination, and um, he, he kind of knew going in that all he had to do was kind of fake it, and that they would edit in the shots later. Mm-hmm. But about a half an hour into, into my lesson with him, he hit an eight iron that, that flew about 155 yards and actually hit the flagstick on the, on the green, on the target <laughs> green. And he turned around and he goes, he goes, Ronnie, you will not be editing my shots. I'm going to hit them. And so Ron Shelton turned to me and he goes, kid, your, your job just got a whole lot harder. <laughs> And, and so, actually, Kevin's swings were Kevin's swings. He was actually, um, I, I think, passable. We, we made him a short swing, a little bit flatter swing, because he was, you know, playing out of West Texas and windy and stuff like that. So I think I think it was passable. The interesting thing was Don Johnson, who who was I don't know if he is now still a low handicapper, right? Mm-hmm. But his golf swing wasn't aesthetically pleasing. And so, but he made a great practice swing. So I told Ron that whatever shots that he needed from Don Johnson, make sure he took two practice swings before he hit the ball. And then you can edit. And so the, the, the swings that were shown, for the most part, were all practice swings. Wow. That is going to be fascinating on a rewatch. And then, and then, um, you know, the, the shots were, were edited in. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, before I let you go, is there anything that uh, you think we're leaving on the table here or haven't covered or you want to dress or you want to get out there? No, I'm cool, but I, I will leave you with one, one funny story. Okay. And that's um, the origin of me carrying all that crap around my neck <laughs> for, for 15 years. Okay. Originally, this was at Charlotte at, at Quail Hollow. Um, first hole, the old first hole, a short par four. And I had a guy who had the monitor. He was walking with me and it was on a, it was on a, it's not a tripod cause it's a single pod, whatever. And he's holding it for me. Right. And I, so I would look into that and, and do my analysis. Well, uh, our producer, Lance Barrow, who is, who is known to give me about six seconds notice of when he's going to do one of these swings comes to me first fairway second shot of phil mickelson he goes all right costas mickelson second shot go <laughs> and i look around for my guy with the monitor 
And he's a hundred yards down the fairway talking to this absolutely gorgeous statuesque blonde behind the ropes trying to get a date. Right? So here I am. And so I, I hit my talk back button. I said, tell me when he starts to swing. And he goes, now. And so I, I verbalized Mickelson's swing and made my comment about it, whatever, completely blind. Oh, my God. Because I had no monitor. <laughs> and I decided at that point, if that's the way life was going to be, I needed to control my own destiny out there. I couldn't rely on a, on a college kid who was working for one week for CBS. And right, rightfully so, he had his choice of standing next to me with a monitor or, or trying to get a date with this, with this beautiful blonde. I can't blame him. But, uh, you know, so I ended up 15 years of carrying that stuff around my neck. Did he get the date? That's the important question. No, oh. he did not. He did not. Well, I, I did actually, this was on my list and I, we kind of, I didn't want to get back into technical stuff, but I do kind of want to paint an image for people that are, you know, watching golf at, on, at home. What, what your setup looks like as far as batteries, heat and comfort level while you're on a golf course. Cause it, yeah, it's it not, does, it's not good. It's it, really hot. It does not look comfortable or cool in any way. No. And, and those, uh, those RBC commercials that I did last year. Yeah. Um, that, that was, that was pretty authentic. I mean, they weren't as heavy because they were mock-ups, but that's, that's stuff I carry around my neck. I got the batteries around my waist and the microphone and the whole thing. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, all I needed is some symbols around my knees and I could be a one man band. That's great. All right. Well, Peter, I can't thank you enough for, for finally agreeing to come do this and for putting up with me and uh, putting up with me over the years and whatnot. But uh, we really, really appreciate the insight. This was uh, well, fascinating. I, I hope it was, I hope it was helpful. And, and I think that People need to know a little bit, you know, that, that they think it's really easy and you can snap your fingers and and this should be able to be done and so on and so forth. But it's a little bit more complicated than that when you get behind the scenes. And, and uh, you know, I can say this about my CBS colleagues, um, the ones I work with, the announcers, whatever. Um, they're all trying their best to do their best. Um, sometimes management and powers to be override their desires to make the shows better mm -hmm. yeah i can i can get that sense so all right well best of luck to you we'll stay in touch and uh again thank can't thank you enough for coming on this has been great you got it thanks be the right club be the right club today yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most how about him? It is better than most.